This is EverStory, and this is Carrie Moore. Uh, my name is Carrie Moore, and I am married to David. We have been I know Carrie from the First Impressions years. team here at church. Always out front smiling, ready to pray or just to talk about the morning. Carrie starts at the beginning where all good stories begin, talking about her husband David, whom she met in college, and has stuck with her throughout. About Shelby, their first daughter, about becoming a teacher, and how she from the very beginning wanted to grow a large family, a seemingly perfect life. But no lives are perfect, I think. And with that, she begins talking about their struggle to conceive a second child. I don't know if diagnosed is the right word, but um, secondary infertility. There is no medical explanation as to why we weren't able to conceive. And so after about six years of not conceiving, we decided that um, adoption was going to be our our um, route to mm-hmm. growing our family. You just hold out hope, um, you know, month after month that this is going to be the month that we were able to conceive and we just felt in our heart like God was going to give us another biological child. Um, And so that was something that we didn't want to lose hope, I guess. Over time, Carrie tells me about how hope began to sour as she developed a sort of jealousy of the growing families around her. I thought about what a favorite writer of mine calls the Instagramification of our culture and how Carrie says she began coveting the surface level lives of seemingly perfect families on social media, what started as a yearning for family slowly devolved into grief, a grief over the absence of a child not yet born. I hope I asked this the right way, but is there a point where you think, well, this is kind of plan B? Um, so I definitely don't think that this was ever plan B. Um, I don't think that God's plan can be plan B. Um, being so far removed now from the start of our adoption story and and our infertility, um, I see now glimmers of of the picture revealed that um, the reason I couldn't conceive was because there was a little girl who was waiting for us. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel like this was ever planned. Carrie was a first grade teacher when they decided to pursue an infant adoption. Um, the school that I was at had a group home, and um, the the group home fed into our school. And there was just this one little boy. He was in first grade, and he just stole my heart, and I wanted to be his mama so bad. Um, kept it to myself for a while, and uh, one day I just couldn't couldn't contain it anymore. So I went home, talked to David, and he said that he had been feeling the same pool, and so. Um, that's what we did. We decided that older kiddos, older babies is what I kept calling them, that those babies need homes too. Yeah. And, um, you know, an infant adoption, the the waiting list is insane. Everybody wants an infant, but nobody wants older kids. And those kiddos need a, a fighting chance at life too. Right. So we um, changed our path and initially tried to pursue this little boy and his brothers, but um, they were reunified with their mom. And so he was not meant to be ours. How did you feel about that? Um, about him being reunified? Yeah. Um, of course, there was a little bit of sadness, but I mean, ultimately, that's the goal. Yeah. You know, every every child and every mother, well, you would hope every mother wants to be with their child, and, and that's who he needed. Yeah. 
It's 2016. Carrie and David decided to pursue a matched adoption. Their daughter Shelby is eight, and they hope to find a child who was a little younger. We talk a lot about different types of adoption, matched, infant. It's complicated and, again, requires immense faith. Your caseworker at the agency takes what you said you will accept and broadcasts you to case to CPS caseworkers in the area. Okay. And um, if there's a match, a hit, for lack of a better word, yeah. um, the CPS caseworker reaches out and then asks the family, "Are you interested in learning more?" And so, and that happened to us multiple times. Yeah. Um, none of the kids were older than or younger than Shelby, but it was a little it was a little hard at. At first, never being passed over is difficult. Yeah. I mean, I would assume you're almost a little competitive. Like, sure. what do we have to do differently Yeah, to be seen? Right. I mean, we were given the file of probably six different kiddos or sibling groups. Um, none really felt, it just didn't feel right. And it just, a lot of us, I mean, not a lot of us, a lo- big part of us wanted to say yes out of um, feeling guilty for saying no, you know? Yeah. Um, but we had to be very careful about bringing, especially an older child, male, who has been exposed to things, into a home with an eight-year-old female who is oh. defenseless, yeah. you know? Um, and so we had to say no to a lot of things. Um, in October of 2016, we um, got a call from our agency asking if um, we wanted our information to be shared with um, a 10-year-old little girl. And we said yes. Again, not what we had planned. We wanted somebody younger, um, but we just felt we didn't want to say no off the bat. We wanted to be open to what God had for us. And so they sent us her paperwork and we saw her picture and we knew it was right. In a matched adoption, prospective parents receive a picture and bio on typically one page. One page to interpret a child's past while conceiving a future. It's difficult for me to wrap my arms around the bigness of a decision like this. One of the things I love about talking to Carrie is that her answers have certainty and belief in God's providence. I I don't know. I mean... It was just a piece that we feel that God gave us. Um, And at that point, it was the only one. Um, They never came in multiples. Um, So we never had to like any, mini, miny, mow it, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, They all came at different times throughout this process. So after saying no multiple times, after being not chosen for who we just know that that sibling set was going to be ours, um, along comes Naomi. And so... We talked about it with Shelby. We prayed about it. Um, You know, we sought some counsel. Ultimately, that's what we decided. Children of divorce often experience a honeymoon period, a period where the pain of loss is temporarily replaced with memories, the good stuff. It's another way of holding out hope for something better in the future. Carrie says that this is typical of adopted children as well. And in November 2016, that was Carrie and David's hope. After patiently following the process, completing mountains of paperwork, working in tiny managed visits, followed by longer weekend visits, Naomi walked through the front door, and just like that, in the eyes of God, she was now a loving mom's daughter, a daddy's little girl, 
and a doting big sister. It was supposed to be chapter one in their story. That was not our case um, from day one. Uh, We hit the ground running. Naomi um, showed signs of aggression, destruction, um, you know, lying, manipulating, all of those things from the very first morning that she woke up in our home. So um, it was a little bit of a shock, but we didn't know any different. Um, We truly thought this is the way that it was. I remember I ran to Target to go get something that she needed. And David called me and um, she had been physically aggressive with Shelby very first day. Again, we thought it was normal. Um, It's just what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Siblings fight. Like, and those are things that people tell us all the time. Well, that's, oh, that's siblings. Like, it's normal. It's normal. Well, it wasn't our normal. Our normal had been a one child household for eight years. Physical aggression to that degree that early, I don't think is normal either. Carrie struggles describing the pain Naomi carried. A chaotic mixture of 10-year-old anger at the adults who consistently failed her, the learned normalcy of disruption, the persistent anxiety of being helpless, voiceless, a child crying for hours because being loved was in itself fearful. Nothing could be quiet. Like a child of war, there was a palpable anxiety surrounding silence. Because silence in that life is a harbinger of bad things to come. The very first time that her CPS caseworker came to visit, they have to come every month just to check. Yeah. Um, I remember it, we had had a knockdown drag out fight right before she was in her room having a moment. And she told her caseworker, this is not normal. There's no police here. This place is not normal. And her caseworker looked her in the eye and said, what you experienced is not normal. This is normal. And so, um, you know, when you are thrown out of everything that you know and placed into something that's so foreign, like as adults, that's hard to to adjust. Right. Right. But being a a 10 year old who has suffered the worst of things. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I think, unrealistic to expect a child like that to be able to regulate. Carrie began experiencing a duplicitous life, balancing the pressure between what she wanted others to believe was perfect and the reality of a home filled with imperfection. I learned very quickly that um, there was a side of me that I did not like. She, uh, I don't want to say she brought it out. The situation brought out a side of me that I didn't know I had and I definitely didn't like. Right. Um, what, what is that? Give me an idea what that is. Uh, I became very angry. Yeah. I became very, very angry. Never at God, just in general. I think I was angry also with her, if I'm yeah. being honest. Um, in the moment, you think, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing for you. And I know that that is not oh, sure. a, a pure heart. Like, But in the moment, that, w- that is how I felt. And, and having outside people say, if she only understood what you were doing. But at the end of the day, she's a child. Yeah. She's even a child raised in the best of circumstances doesn't understand the sacrifices that parents make for them. And really, our kids never understand, nor do they need to understand. Dr. Russell Moore says that if you want your dream baby, do not adopt. Buy a cat and pretend. Adoption is about taking on risk as cross bearing love. This isn't an endeavor for us, 
It's a blessing for the child. I remember our very first Christmas together. So she came home around Thanksgiving. So at Christmas, my parents came and stayed for 18 days just to help us. Sure. You know, and um, my dad pulled me to the side and, and said, I, you don't look happy. You don't look like my daughter. And um, I just kind of realized, like, I, I wasn't. I wasn't happy. Um, and so I, I had to make a conscious decision moving forward that yeah. I can't let my circumstances define my happiness and that I can't parent my kids or be a wife to my husband um, if I'm wallowing in, in my anger and self-pity. I can't help thinking about grace and how it's impossible for me to imagine an adoption without risk. Every adoption and every orphan represents, to some extent, a tragedy. A family in poverty, a family fallen ill, a family broken, a family member killed, in the midst, a child and adoptive family just trying not to hurt. I mean, we're always being tested. Right. And and that's something that my dad asked me. He said, Carrie, what do you... What do you think God is trying to teach you yeah. through this? Um, and then, of course, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. But then, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it was a good reflection. And I did a really good job of hiding it outside of the home, I felt like. Um, because I had an image, maybe, that I wanted to uphold. I never wanted to... Um, I was never completely closed off with how hard it was. But I never let people see how truly unhappy I was. If, if that makes sense. Um, sure. Because it can be hard and you can still be happy, but I, it was hard and I was unhappy. Yeah. But um, through this process, um, my love grew for wanting to educate people on adoption um, of older children, you know? And so my fear was if people knew that I was unhappy, <laughs> they wouldn't want to do it. Foster homes are over, overrun. Um, there's so many kids in the system that they don't even have foster homes to go to. And we are the only solution as the body of Christ. We're the only solution. Carrie is genuine about her struggles, a fear that there's a chink in her armor and that it will be obvious to others. What's clear is that their love for Naomi is unquestionable. There's never a moment in our conversation where I wondered if there was any amount of self-pity. What Dr. Moore warns about, adopting as an expression of love for oneself and not unconditionally for a child. I really found a lot of purpose, maybe is the word I'm looking for, in educating fellow teachers like, hey, that kid is not throwing that desk because they want to. They're not hiding under that desk because they want to. They're not running down the street because that makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. Like they're, it was a response to their trauma, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think we just had to take a different approach because every child that I saw behave that way or every child that wasn't sitting in my classroom. I asked myself, like I pictured my kids sitting there. Yeah, hurt people hurt people. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And Naomi acts just like a hurt little girl, reacting to a foreign environment. Ironically, the perfect environment that Carrie tried desperately to provide. But in what seems to finally be the high point, maybe the beginning of a delayed honeymoon period, Naomi's adoption agency asked her to speak at an adoption fundraiser in New York in 2019. Naomi spoke, and Mom watched. And she spoke about how beauty comes from difficulty and how God moves daily in their lives. 
It was amazing. It was amazing to see my girl stand on the stage and talk to 400 adults about what her life was like and what it was now. Because she's like 10 or 11, right? At this time, I think she was 12. 12? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so it was great. It was incredible. We felt like we were on a high. We had overcome all the hard stuff. And I am not kidding. We came back late September and things were never the same. Um, And I truly believe that that was the enemy. Um, You know, we were there advocating for kiddos in in foster care and adopt. It's what we're called to do. And God is so good. And um, I, I just feel like the enemy attacked our family. In part two of Carrie's story, Things got really bad, really. The destruction went to a whole new level. Broken windows, holes in the wall. Um, There were times when she would get so angry, she would rip everything off the wall in her room and just throw it in a pile um, or put it in trash bags and throw it outside. And again, those are all like material things, but the act of destruction was chaotic. It just escalated. Part two is ready right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, everyone has a story. And in Christ Jesus, we are all compelled to share what glory he is doing in our lives. Production of Doxology Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. If this is your first time listening, make sure and hit subscribe and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story of transformation? Message us on Facebook or email us at stories at doxology.church.